Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Kate Bailey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Special Guest Colin Lowe, Managing Director of Kingsfleet Wealth. Markets may be all over the place and property investors panicking, but bucking the trend are exchange-traded fund portfolios for income, which over the past few months have held up incredibly well. Kate, you've been looking at our exchange-traded fund portfolios have been performing. So first of all, what kind of returns have they made? Well, yeah, so we put these, they're basically two model portfolios, and we put them together with the help of um, Anna Miller and Paul Taylor a year ago in February. And so Alan Miller's is a kind of mix of, his is slightly higher risk than, than Paul Taylor's. It's a mix of overseas equities. It's got some bonds in it and some UK equities as well. Paul Taylor's is more UK focused. So Alan Miller's is up just, I looked at the four months basically since February because that's when I last checked. And it's up by almost 12%. And, you know, normally you wouldn't look at something on, on that short term a time scale, but that still seems quite kind of stark, and it's yielding about one point three percent. And it, these are ETF portfolios for income, but his his thinking is that he would have accumulate. He prefers to have accumulating units and sell those down rather than having distributing units. Paul Taylor's portfolio is up about five point five and yielding about three point five. So. It seems quite impressive. I was expecting them both mm. to, to have been, you know, really hit by the Brexit effect, but that appears not to have happened here. Yeah, no, I mean, those are, are super impressive numbers when you think about um, just all the things that have been going on the past few months. So my question is, what's been driving it? Is there any particular type of asset? Yeah, there's definitely a trend. And uh, that trend is emerging markets and it's bonds. I mean, emerging markets have, have been the thing to be in, I guess, post-Brexit for a number of reasons. I mean, it is Brexit related, but it's also a fundamental factor trade, I guess. Um, I mean, there's the obvious reason that they are more insulated. I and mean, here we're talking equities and bonds, but I guess to think of equities first, a bit more insulated from the UK um, and you know, and from the immediate kind of shocks of Brexit, there's a currency thing there. If we're bringing back returns with weaker sterling, that, that flatters the returns for overseas equities. But there is also a kind of snapback because everyone has been so down on emerging markets for the past few years. And in fact, they've been kind of buffeted by a number of headwinds, but they've really withstood some of those things quite well. So we've had, you know, low oil prices and now those are rising, which is good. Falling commodity prices coming back a bit, also good. And the dollar weakening a little bit, which is also uh, good for emerging markets. So, in fact, people are looking at them and thinking, ah, you know, one of the cheaper areas in the world and actually on a fundamental basis performing quite well. And when it comes to emerging market bonds, this is obviously one of the only areas or bonds being, you know, the area to go for income in a low rate environment. And they have much higher yields. And some people are saying that, in fact, they do have much higher yields, but are not necessarily that much higher risk than some other areas of the bond market. I mean, others might disagree with that, and it does depend on which country you're looking at. But so that's why when you look at some of these ETFs, for example, Spider MSCI Emerging Markets Small Cap. Now, just over that period I looked at, over four months, it's almost 20% up which is a lot, obviously. Mm. Um, iShares Core Emerging Markets, IMI, and that's an ETF which tracks emerging markets. It tracks the whole universe, so that includes some small cap as well. That's up by almost 24%. 
Uh, and then the emerging market bonds. Um, in Alan Miller's portfolio, he holds PIMCO Emerging Markets Advantage, local bond index source, <laughs> USITS ECF, another catchy name, uh, almost 25% up. So I guess, you know, there are questions about whether those things can keep going up. But for now, and post-Brexit, that has clearly been the place to be. Yeah, some incredible returns. Um, now, the two wealth managers who constructed the portfolios did recently change some of the holdings, though. Which ETFs did they add to the portfolios? So Alan Miller wanted to switch his allocation um, from global iShares global high-yield corporate bond, and he wanted to move that into an emerging markets sovereign bond hedged back to GBP. And that's because he's a bit nervous about high yield generally and actually thinks that the yields are pretty comparable between this emerging market sovereign debt ETF and the high yield. And he just feels better about the risk. So that's one move. Um, Also switching his Japanese exposure from a core MSCI Japan ETF from iShares and moving it into this new shareholder friendly index in Japan. It's called the JPX Nikkei 400. Um, And the idea is that this is an index of companies which meet some corporate government's standards. Uh, They're, you know, paying out dividends more than the others. And it's quite new, but um, there's quite a lot of buzz around it. And he he just feels better about that. Um, Paul Taylor was holding a uh, real estate ETF. And obviously, that is one area which has not done well. Um, It's not down by that much over. It's down by just over 4% in the period I looked at, which is maybe less, you know, than you would think. And clearly the ETF has had less problems than an open-ended property fund, as as we've seen with all of the gatings going on there. But either way, he doesn't feel very comfortable about that anymore. So he's switching out of the iShares MSCI Target UK real estate, and he would put that into a REIT instead, which he holds. Okay, um, some interesting moves. Colin, there's a view that in times of turbulence, active management is better than passive. But here we have a selection of ETFs doing really well. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, you can't dispute the numbers and uh, they do all seem to add up. But uh, essentially, if we just look over the last six months, we, we must remember January and February, we had some very low points in the uh, in stock markets globally. So really, any investment over that period has normally done has actually done very well. I mean, the FTSE 100 is up 19% over the last six months itself. So um, just being in a tracker would have given you a 19% return if you had timed your entry exactly at six months ago. And of course, we've also got the currency kicker there as well, haven't we? So anything that's held in non-sterling assets will have appreciated quite significantly in the last few weeks. So those numbers are undeniable. Personally, I think this is a great opportunity for active management rather than passive because I think there's going to be some significant shakeout over the over the coming weeks and months. Okay, um, I suppose on that note, then um, going forward, do you think passive funds will continue to be a good way for investors to run an income portfolio? I, I think it's a very simple way. They'll be okay, but I think it's times like this when active managers are actually able to buy the stocks at a low price when perhaps sentiment has driven down the the price of the market. So we've seen a lot of fund managers buying very low-priced equities and particular stocks over the last month while the opportunity was there. And I think actually what we'll see is the active managers seeing the benefit of that, hopefully, as markets um, pick up and rise over the coming months. Now, among the best performers in these ETF portfolios were emerging markets funds, um, which have done very well over the past few months. Do you think emerging markets will continue to do well? 
Well, we've got to, again, remember that in 2013 and 14, emerging markets did very, very poorly. So there's a bit of a bounce there. There's a bit of a bounce because of the strengthening of the dollar. And a lot of these um, countries have currencies that are linked to the dollar. They basically track the dollar. So as the dollar strengthens in comparison with sterling, then emerging market funds will often do very well. I think it's difficult to generalise, but of course there are opportunities in emerging markets. I think that's always true. However, I would suggest we always remember that we don't invest in countries. Ultimately, you invest in a company and some of those companies will be in emerging markets. Some of them will be in mainland Europe. Some of them will be in North America So, and, and further afield as well. So, yeah, I'm sure there will be opportunities in emerging markets. I'm just thinking about one particular attribute. Do emerging markets provide a good option for British investors at the moment seeking Brexit-resilient investments? Possibly, but again, I, I've just my concern is that we may have seen the initial kick. We might have already seen the 15 20% bonus that that will give us because of the weakening in sterling. So we're now going to have a reverse issue to contend with, which is that potentially there is a, a currency risk that you're now taking on board with that. Of course, people have seen the currency benefit, but of course that could always work the other way. So yes, there will be opportunities in emerging markets. Yes, they could be a good option. But please, you know, bear in mind that there are additional volatilities and risks that will come as a result of that. Okay, thank you, Colin. Some useful points. Now, this week's portfolio clinic features an investor who's aiming for a 4% return from his portfolio, and he seems to be on track to do this. However, he's very concerned about the makeup of his portfolio, and he's also very concerned about missing out on possible investment opportunities. Colin, you reviewed the portfolio. First of all, it's good that people take an interest in their portfolios, but at what point does, let's say, over-interest become detrimental? That's a really difficult one to answer because it's just great that people are interested, actually, because I, I find this a difficult one to answer because I get very excited. I'm a bit boring. I get very excited by everything to do with the investment world. So somebody who is a kindred spirit in that way, I can't criticise them at all. Um, I suppose the only thing that could be an issue is that, that there might be people who have the skills but maybe don't have the time. And one of the key issues with investment management professionally that we have to to deal with for some clients is really just the time of making changes and making alterations and actually focusing on it. If you have the time, then just be aware that maybe you don't have the skills and you don't have all the information. And so that would be the only concern I would perhaps flag up. Okay. Now, what would you say the main mistakes that overzealous investors typically make when running a portfolio? Well, I think one of the key concerns is and it can be either extreme, really. One is over-trading. So in other words, uh, chasing something. Or we've just been talking about some significant gains made over the last few months. And to then think that the world will continue in that way. And actually, it rarely does. So just be careful about over-trading, trying to chase returns. And of course, the opposite could also be true, which is under-trading. And how often do we find people who've had the same portfolio for the last 10 or 12 years, they haven't reviewed it, they haven't changed it, and uh, they assume that it will just carry on quite happily. So there we are. I've managed to say both ends of the spectrum. Somewhere in the mm. middle is quite right. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it'd be fair to say as well that if you, if you, every time you trade, um, unless it's um, perhaps um, an open-ended fund on a platform that doesn't charge right, you will get costs. Costs are, um, Which are obviously important. also eat into returns as well Absolutely as investment right. mistakes. Yeah. Absolutely right. Okay. Now, now, this investor, as well as being quite zealous, had some very strong opinions. He had very strong likes and very strong dislikes on certain types of investments. And one of these was bonds, because he thinks 
that he will lose capital as interest rates rise. Is this a relevant concern in the current environment? It is. It is a concern. It's been a concern really since 2008 because uh, obviously interest rate, well, early 2009, we, we saw a significant reduction in interest rates. Base rate has been the same since then. And everyone's concern is that there will be an imminent increase in interest rates. And when that happens, that's reflected in government bonds. And then there's a, a reflection all the way up the risk scale. And the more risk you have, in other words, the higher yield bonds, then potentially the higher reduction in capital when interest rates rise. So, yes, there is a, a concern there. The issue is, actually, do we think interest rates could be going up soon? And again, with the referendum result, there seems to be an increased likelihood of lower for longer, as the saying goes, continuing for, for some time. So if it's a way of having a different type of strategy, then it might be something under consideration. Okay. Taking, obviously, all these moving parts into consideration, are bond investments a good portfolio inclusion at the moment? And um, if you do have them in your portfolio, what kind of role would they play in your portfolio? Right. Well, again, there's two different ways in which bond investments could form a part of any individual's portfolio. We tend to recommend them as part of a long-term strategic portfolio. And obviously, the more risk someone has, the lower the holding we would have in bond or fixed income assets. So we tend to use strategic bond funds and we tend to use strategic bond funds because that gives the manager the facility of moving up and down the risk scale. So on the very low risk end, they can have short dated government bonds. On the higher end of the risk scale, they could have high yielding corporate bonds or even bonds held in emerging markets. So they've got the availability of that whole spectrum and they can move up and down that spectrum as they see fit. So I think strategically that's very helpful. Again, you might also think that tactically you might want to hold some corporate bonds just as a way of taking risk off the table. And I was just looking up a couple of short-dated corporate bonds that you could use as a way of almost holding instead of cash. It's not the same as cash, has more risk. It's very important to just stress that. But short-dated corporate bonds, um, AXA, Alpha, a short-dated corporate bond, Threadneedle, a UK short-dated corporate bond. And those are ways in which perhaps you might want to hold funds that aren't held in equities but perhaps aren't there for the long term. So, um, you know, you might be wanting to move them into equities on a future occasion. So as a tactical holding, they can be quite helpful as well. OK, you mentioned strategic bond funds. Which strategic bond funds do you particularly like? Strategic bond funds are a huge universe now. Once upon a time, there was a handful of funds and it was very straightforward. Now it's much more complicated. So funds that we've recommended uh, over recent weeks and months would be ones that are quite different. So the Legal and General Dynamic Bond Trust is uh, a great fund if you think the world could go into a very steep decline that that manager is um, holding in in a way that is quite unique. Um, Although in a similar way, uh, Rathbone Ethical Bond Fund is structured in a slightly unusual way as well. And we quite like the way that they manage things. And the other one that's a bit more mainstream has a very, very big fund and has just done extremely well for a long time is the Henderson Strategic Bond Fund. So there's three different ones there. There's lots of others on the market that are well worth looking into. And then you might also want to be thinking about global bonds as well, although, again, they've had a big bounce because of currency. Um, Marlborough Global Bond Fund is one that we've recommended recently too. So, uh, yeah, there's lots of availability on the marketplace. Again, it just depends whether you're after yield and an income or whether you're looking for a, a total return strategy. Okay. On the subject of income, how good are bonds and bond funds against areas such as equity income and property at the moment as a source of income? Are bonds the best way to get income? 
Yeah, uh, I, I would say they're not the best way, but I would say that they are an absolutely important constituent part of any portfolio. There's very few of my clients who don't have any bonds um, and they know that therefore that increases the risk on their portfolio. Yeah, it, it, it does it in different ways. I, I totally understand that. And I think strategic bonds are just a way in which you can get rid of some of those issues and hand them over to a manager for them to sort out the problems on your behalf. And I think it works very well. On that note, do you like ETFs as a way to invest in bonds? Because you're talking about obviously strategic bonds are very, very active, but we have... Um, just been talking about these portfolios and, and the bond ETF, um, and they have done well. They have done well. Yeah. Uh, they have done well. I think they've done well because of this lower for longer story. I think the issue would come if that was to change, that um, you may need to start moving up and down the risk scale. And if you're holding an ETF, you would have to do that yourself mm. and to know when to do it and what to move to. They have done very well, and you cannot dispute the figures, as we were saying earlier. But I'm going to play devil's advocate here and mm-hmm. say that very few people have the skills to get the timing right. And the potential losses, although corporate bonds can be a nice, safe place, they can also be a very scary place, and suddenly they can flip and just make a very rapid change. That happened actually earlier in the year when assets were very closely correlated between equities and fixed income assets, and there was a you know a reasonably sharp decline in fixed income values. That's bounced back, but I just think that's why, one reason why we like to use strategic bond funds in our client portfolios. Turning back to Verida um, and, and this, this general subject of how to access them, he's actually directly holding a f- some of the very small number of corporate bonds that private investors can buy off the London stock exchange is this a good way to get exposure to bonds or uh, what would you suggest <laughs> yeah i'm gonna gonna mm. sort of, mm. uh, refer the uh Honourable listener to the answer I gave earlier, really. I, I, personally, I just feel that we, we feel more comfortable mm. using strategic bonds. I would just say, though, however, if you're buying gilts or very few available corporate bonds, to hold them to redemption, there is some mm. sense in that. Trading them, though, can become difficult. Yeah. Trading them can become difficult, mainly due to liquidity. Mm. Um, it can be really hard even for bond fund managers to trade bonds. <laughs> mm. So for the private individual to trade them can be really quite tough. Yeah, I think it would be fair to say, isn't it? I mean, there are a really small number Mm. available and you're not going to have anything like the diversity or choice that an institutional manager running a bond fund would. Or or even, as you say, within Mm. an ETF, you have Mm. a huge Mm. range of bonds represented within those ETFs. That normal people can't go out and buy. Mm. So you are getting diversification Mm. just in the way in which you're buying into those bond funds. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Colin. Some uh, really useful suggestions. And do check out the fun section of next week's Investors Chronicle because we're going to have an in-depth assessment of bond funds in that. Now, an area which has taken a bit of a beating since the vote for Brexit has been UK-listed small and mid-cap companies. But Gervais Williams, a fund manager who runs a number of funds including Diverse Income Trust, which we count among our IC Top 100 funds, says investors shouldn't assume that all of the segment of the market is highly exposed to the domestic economy and also that smaller companies have more opportunities to grow their sales and profits. Colin, would, would you agree with this? And do you think investors at the moment should be allocated to UK smaller mid-caps? I do totally agree. I mean, certainly someone with the knowledge, experience and performance record of Gervais is is somebody definitely worth listening to. He would have researched his funds. He would have researched his stocks. So I would listen to what he has to say. 
And yeah, I think investors should be allocated to every aspect of the market. And I think, again, using funds that are multi-cap, so in other words, they can go from everything from small cap, mid cap, right the way through to large cap, investing in managers who, who can invest in that way just gives a greater diversification. But there's always a flip side. So obviously there's the issue of Brexit, but you know, what are some other, are the other main risks of UK small and mid caps just now? It, well, of course, the, the thing with small caps um, and, and mid caps is that they've had a very good run. Mm. And again, we were talking earlier about how emerging markets had a tough time in 14 and 15. And, and really, uh, it was the reverse for small and mid caps. They had an exceptionally good time. Uh, and really any manager who was invested in the core element of small and mid cap markets, particularly mid cap, did extremely well over the last couple of years. And they were the ones who got hurt the most after the referendum result, really. So what, what are the risks? Well, obviously, smaller companies, smaller than the big companies, then often brings in higher levels of volatility. But there is that famous saying that elephants don't gallop. Well, it's famous. I think mm. it's famous, uh, which really just says that large mm. size businesses rarely increase in size dramatically, rarely grow fast. And that's why often people would argue that the engine of the UK economy is actually the mid cap market. OK. And how much of a risk to these do you think Brexit is? Well, actually, I think we could be about to see a, a significant increase in, in M&A and takeovers, mergers and acquisitions. Mm. We've seen that in the last week with the acquisition of Arm by a, a Japanese firm. And with the sterling assets now, effectively every sterling asset has been devalued by 15 to 20%. And I think what we're going to see is significant foreign takeovers and, and probably that will really be obvious in that mid-250 market. So there may be a great opportunity to see a significant takeout of some probably very good businesses. I think, you know, um, some fund managers will be disappointed to lose mm. them. But uh, I think if we're looking at total returns to clients, it may give some very strong returns. Now, you were saying that you think that multi-cap funds are probably the best way to approach UK equities. So what particular multi-cap funds would you suggest? We've obviously been speaking about diverse income trust, which invests across the market Absolutely. spectrum who does seem to have a bit of a bias the smaller side of it yeah. um, but are there any others that you'd like to highlight yeah well again a, cu a couple that we've been looking at recently so line trust special situations is a very good fund with a very good long-term track record but again exceptionally good at being able to spread right the way across the market capitalization spectrum which is very helpful one way in which you get specific allocation to smaller mid cap is the franklin uk managers focus fund now that's because it's effectively divided into four and a small cap manager gets 25 percent or broadly mid cap 25 large cap 25 and then they get the best of everything in the other 25 which is just an interesting way of of getting getting into the market really into different ways or again something like Threadneedle uk select which again is quite a concentrated portfolio 30, 35 stocks, and that's right the way across the top 350 um, companies in the UK. Okay, some really useful suggestions there. And you can read our full update on Diverse Income Trust in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast, so it just remains to thank Colin Lowe, Managing Director of King Street Wealth, and Kate Bealey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle. You can read more on our income ETF portfolios, asset allocation and equity income in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 